listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. And I'm Janine. My guest today is Dr. Cami Benton, MD. She's returning for another informative conversation. My previous conversations with Dr. Benton are titled A Doctor's Conundrum. They're quite interesting. And those are episodes, uh, let's see, 121 and 123, if you haven't heard her before. So I'll give a quick review of Cami's background. Once working in a group practice, uh, Dr. Benton realized there must be more to medicine, as she felt she was just doling out pills for symptoms. The list of pills were growing to cover the side effects of other pills. So in 2013, she became board certified in holistic and integrative medicine. For her specialty under the holistic umbrella, she started her functional medicine path and became certified in functional medicine. Functional medicine, for those of you who don't know, searches for the root cause of disease and determines a solution by looking at all the symptoms in a person using the latest science. And it also has a very strong preventative aspect to it. Hi, Cami. Welcome back. I'm so excited to be back. It's always fun. Yes, yes. Well, and as usual, we've had a fun conversation already. So I said, okay, let's get to the serious stuff here. (laughs) Now, you've been working at forming an integrative wellness center. And that's why uh, you wanted to come on so you could talk about it. I believe you said that it's called Compass Integrative Health Center. Yes. Now that sounds like a pretty big project. So uh, why don't you take it away and tell us what you're doing? Oh, I'm so excited to have the opportunity to share this. And I'm hoping that there's some doctors out there that are disgruntled with the system that they want to be a part of this. Um, you know, as, as we've seen chaos reign in the last couple of years, um, I think a lot of us are realizing that we need to be a part of creating the new earth. Mm-hmm. And that means creating new education systems and new financial systems and new, like, we're going to have to readjust our governments and, and, and the inappropriate balance of power that they have, right? But the same thing is in medicine is that we have uh, seen medicine, um, just the cost of medicine grow, especially in the United States. I mean, we're the most expensive healthcare system in the entire world. But and it is we have some of the worst health worst healthcare. The worst healthcare, right? We have like horrible standings. We're number one for infant and maternal mortality among developed nations and worse among minorities. We are we rank thirty-fourth in the world for quality of care for chronic disease states. We rank thirty-third in the world for longevity by age five. Um, and this is the wow. United States, one of the wealthiest countries in the world. So there's there's the whole issue of why it is failing is so complex to manage here. But <laughs> I think most people would agree our healthcare system is failing. And um, and most people cannot afford it without getting and it's created the quandary of the cost of healthcare insurance mm-hmm. and corporate medicine that causes a rise in, in healthcare costs. And so we got to do something different. And, and I believe like my whole journey has kind of prepared me for this moment. And so really what happened is one day in April, mm-hmm. uh, not in April, in August, w- we were having a conversation on Facebook and thanks to uh, social media, right? Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to have uh, a former medical school classmate 
um, get on there and basically say that people who have not gotten the COVID vaccine deserves to die. <laughs> and um, they deserve to be triaged out of healthcare. And and had it wow. just been her voice, I mean, that would have shocked me. But the problem is I've been seeing this in, in doctors' groups across the country, and which was disheartening. But when I knew someone who I consider to be a compassionate person, a smart person, to actually be speaking in the same way um, about her fellow citizens, I just honestly lost him. Like I felt well, I was totally distraught. And my boyfriend, Kyle, who's amazing, he was like, you know, we cannot let her lower our vibration. We must think, what can we learn from this opportunity? What can we do better? And then he reminded me about like us being part of creating the new earth. And I'm like, well, let's just create our own new integrative hospital. And because right now we have integrative centers across the country, Mm -hmm. but it's really only for outpatient use and for sort of chronic disease state. So, but what about all those people that are being sent to the hospital and refused care or bullied and being told that they will get this, maybe this treatment like remdesivir. A lot of people don't want to use remdesivir in the hospital because it has scary statistics yet they're doing it behind the family's backs or, um, or people feel bullied that if they don't use it, they won't get other care. So well, isn't there, excuse me for interrupting, but isn't there, aren't there financial incentives for using it? I mean, I've heard so many horror stories about people who found a way to get out. I was just listening to someone who, in fact, maybe it was my last guest who said it, who's talked to many doctors who have said that patients are not even getting their regular medications in the hospital, like their heart medication or their or their insulin or whatever it is, they're not they're not being allowed to have their regular medication. Right. There's the stories I've heard are just heartbreaking. Um, and yeah, remdesivir they get a twenty percent bonus Medicare bonus for using remdesivir. God. And remdesivir, um, it was actually part of a bigger study, a World Health Organization study where they use four antivirals in an Ebola trial. And prior to, just prior to uh, Fauci approving remdesivir as our primary use in the hospital, which is $3,500 for a round of treatment, um, it was actually stopped, halted in the trial for Ebola because it was killing so many patients. Uh, So there's like over 50% mortality rate, like death rate, um, high rate of uh, kidney failure, cause of dialysis. And then what happens when you go through kidney failure, needing dialysis, you end up with fluid overload. And what are we hearing in the hospital? Mm-hmm. We're hearing about kidney failure, dialysis, fluid overload, um, multiple, you know, organ death, you know. And blaming so, that on co- quote unquote COVID. Blaming on COVID when we know remdesivir does that, right? So, mm-hmm. and then, so he approved that. And for the majority of the first year of the pandemic, um, our death rates were higher than the rest of the world. The rest of the developed world, Africa was like rocking it. They were doing awesome. And meanwhile, you know, even when I would share about African statistics, I would literally get eye rolls from the doctors. Like, why would we follow Africa? I'm like, because they're not dying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. we have horrible statistics. So, but yet our government continues to give 20% bonus, Medicare bonus on that $3,500 round of antivirals, which is actually not effective. Right. And especially because it was when it is supposed to be effective is in the first like early days where there's viral replication, like the virus is reproducing. So what's happening is that these people are not even getting to the hospital until late. So the remdesivir offers nothing but harm. 
So anyway, so all those things, you know, considering that it's like, we, we can do this better, but the problem is, is that we have, we're a divided world. You know, there's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like we live on different planets. It's like literally, it, like it really we, is. It, it feels like what the information I'm learning is not even being seen mm-hmm. by the majority of doctors and the stuff that they see, they, they so willingly believe it so wholeheartedly believe in what they're doing, denying care and only offering remdesivir is absolutely the right thing that they're willing to sacrifice friends and family for it. You know, they, they really bought into that and I, I, I can't comprehend that. And so I'm like, you know what, there's enough people like us and this has less to do with the vaccine than it is just about, mm-hmm. you know, options to negotiate care and to feel like you're in a collaborative environment with care. And the idea is that people are dying alone or that babies are being taken from their mothers if they have COVID, like all those things, like there's a world of us that just see that as just criminal. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do? We have to create our own new system. We have to be part of creating the new healthcare system where there's collaboration, respect, you know, true informed consent and if someone wants the vaccine, great, get the vaccine if that's what you want. But informed consent, like you should have the option to say, let me review the pros and cons. And based upon my risk factors, this is what I want. You know, whatever. I, I, I support everyone's choice. But that hospital setting needs to be that, is that we are not like leaving family members out. And But that's going to require us also to be creative. Let's say there is a real pandemic again in the future. Bill Gates has already warned us we're about to have many layers of pandemics coming up, right? Oh, let's use scare tactics. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So let's say there is, right? Mm -hmm. Well, then we also need to like reshape how the hospitals are actually built. Like, so for instance, let's say Mm. in an ICU, in an intensive care room, Mm -hmm. when someone's really, really sick, we actually have a door built into the room that leads to outside so we can roll them outside, get sunshine. Mm, Nice. So why not even recreate how we do the structure to improve access to true healing, right? We want this to be a healing center <laughs> and, and healthcare to be truly health care, not sick care. So mm-hmm. we want to have the opportunity to incorporate the best of everything. And you were mentioning before the call, we were talking about like sort of biohacking or mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. new energetic medicine. Uh, there's med beds out there. There's all these cool modalities when it comes to wellness. Um, but also, um, there's all these amazing integrative practitioners doing beautiful things, helping to heal people that is not considered mainstream at all. And there's even some, I haven't even learned about some of this stuff. But some people are doing color therapy and mm-hmm. frequency, like sound ther- sound healing. Um, there's, of course, there's chiropractors and acupuncturists. And so what I want to do is, is when you are your sickest, if you want your chiropractor to be able to come adjust you, when you're in the bed, because your back's hurting in the bed, mm-hmm. you know, why would we not do that? Why would we not grant them access to take care of their own patients or, you know, acupuncturists? And so I am, you know, going to be incorporating, you know, as many of the healthcare practitioners as I can that's in the, in, in the integrative world to help me collect a database of evidence that helps to support this for the other more traditional doctors that I hope to recruit to the hospital. So that way we can they don't have to learn a whole new form of medicine. We could just do good Western medicine, you know, complemented by acupuncture, you know, sound healing, massage, 
aromatherapy or whatever, right? So mm-hmm. we want to incorporate the best of everything because there's so much out there to help heal people. And it's beautiful. Now's the time to integrate it all. And that's what we're lacking, I think, in the United States, at least, and perhaps other countries. I can't speak to them. But is having a place that when you are really sick, that we get the best of everything. Now, I would go to that health center. <laughs> Right. right now, right now, I I don't think I, even if I was on my deathbed, I'd go to a hospital right now. Same, <laughs> but I will tell you, Janine, this is there have been some beautiful things that have been happening that shows me that this hospital is absolutely like divinely planned mm-hmm. because that that Saturday that Cal and I had sort of had that epiphany. Uh, that Monday, I had a phone call from a gentleman that I had taken care of years before. And he was wanting to call and and set up a lunch meeting with me to discuss COVID. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, well, I don't really remember this guy that well. So just stick him on the schedule. So he came to the appointment that Friday and he, he brought labs. He's like, you know, my labs are fine and I feel great. You know, I did your program and you inspired me to keep on with this health journey. I feel great. I really don't know why I'm here. I just, felt the need to talk to you about COVID, right? So um, I told him my idea about the integrative hospital and he is, his eyes got big and he says, do you know what? I am an architect and all I do is build hospitals across this country. (laughs) I am getting chills all over. Wow. That Hmm. Friday, I mean, within, within, it's like I decided on Saturday by Monday, he was calling for this meeting. And so he couldn't possibly know. And again, I hadn't talked to him in years for him to even know. So then within a few weeks, um, my manager's brother met a guy at an oil change place. And that man, that gentleman was a retired construction guy, but he all he does is build hospitals. So he says, <laughs> I think you need to meet with my my this doctor Benton. And so he met up with me and this poor guy, he was sweet. Oh my gosh. He was so nice. And he didn't realize all the, the controversy that had been happening about ivermectin and people not being treated. He really didn't know, mm-hmm. um, but he's a good man. And so he's like, I don't know. I need to research what you're saying. It's hard to believe this. Right. And then within a few weeks, he's like, okay, I've read this stuff. I'm interested. And then it wasn't soon after that it was like Halloween. I got a text from the architect. Hey, guess who I'm sitting beside? He was, his best friend is that construction guy's son (laughs) who is still in the business, who's still building hospitals. Oh, wow. I just love this kind of stuff. (laughs) These people came to me. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, and I forgot. There's also a a gentleman from California. So there was um, pretty soon after I had a friend, she's an acupuncturist in California. And she's like, Cammy, I just felt like the need to talk to you. What's going on? I told her my idea. She says, oh, my gosh, you need to meet this guy, Mike, and uh, that I talked to yesterday. So within an hour, she had me talking to Mike, a retired 65-year-old uh, electrical contractor who's only done hospital work for the, uh, hospital systems in California. And he says, wow. And so when I talked to him, he's like, I really believe in this. I want to be a part of this. He says, I can do a lot of this stuff virtually. I want to be a part of this. I mean, it's just girl, you are on your path, obviously. Yes. You are doing what you're meant to do. Mm -hmm. And so we are organizing uh, the whole community. Uh, We're having town hall meetings. Um, You can people who are in in my area, if they want to or anywhere, can sign up for the town hall meetings um, on BentonIntegrative.com. And um, you sign up for the email list. And we have like probably every two months uh, meetings. So we're actually organizing 
volunteers help me raise money and we're going to start. The goal is to have an urgent care, a birthing center, a 23 hour observation unit, which is basically the step right before you get put in the hospital. We're going to start there and do um, sort of the biohacking lab, you know, with with bar- you know hyperbaric uh, chambers mm-hmm. and med beds and saunas and all that. And because there are so many people that could benefit from that when they're sick or well. Right. And so we're hoping to have that sort of incorporated into the hospital and uh, probably a surgical center to help with the, uh, if there's any emergency C-sections or anything like that. And then the last thing that would be built would be the inpatient hospital because that's the hardest one to get passed through legally. Uh, but we're going to be in the process of, you know, we'll be just starting all this stuff up until that point. And then it'll be easier to push the rest of the way through when they see the demand from the people. So this is going to be a community-built, integrative healing center um, for the uh, the milder, more mild illnesses to the really sick. And we're going to be transforming the new medical system. Wow. Yeah. That is so awesome. Now, where is the this initial one going to be? It is going to be just northwest of Charlotte in little Denver, North Carolina. It's a, in a rural place just outside of Charlotte. It's like mm-hmm. 20 minutes from downtown Charlotte and the, from the airport. It's like 20 minutes from the airport. But my goal is, is that if we can create a blueprint, we can actually help people to open this up across the hospital, you know, across the country. Um, right. Maybe the world, you know, we'll see how big it gets. And, uh, and the word compass means we walk together. Mm. I was wondering about that. Okay. Yeah. Office Integrative Health. And we will walk together in this because we cannot depend on the government to save us. No. I, I think that's becoming more and more obvious. <clears throat> right. We cannot depend on them to save us. We have to we have to create our own reality. And I believe that we can create a center based in compassion. It's heart centered, you know, which means honestly, we're gonna I'm already starting to work on um, some programming to help the doctors and nurses and other staff to be kind of deprogrammed from mm-hmm. corporate medicine mm-hmm. because that's what we're going to have to do. Cause a lot of people we're, we've been so into such dysfunctional uh, relationships, you know, professionally that we're going to have to teach people how to not be that. Like, how do we work collaboratively? Cause you know, we realize, you know, we're creatures of habit, all of us, you know, I've had a lot of retraining of myself and healing from my corporate years. So everyone's going to really need that. And so I'm excited to um, be incorporating people that are do energy medicine and good uh, conscious leadership. Like there's a great book out there. It's called the 15 commitments to conscious leadership. If anyone Hmm. is interested in, it's a very spiritual approach to leadership. And, but it's useful in, with any relationships, marriages, homes, you know, and it's all about acting above the line or below the line or, or you know, is what I'm doing being productive or counterproductive. And it's this simple concept. And, and so we're doing that to retrain sort of my own staff in my business right now to kind of practice. But we're, we're going to have the opportunity to, as we help people heal from this, and you know, as we heal ourselves, we heal the world. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And that's where we have to start is with ourselves. Cami, what's the name of that book again? I'll put a link to it on the webpage. 15 Commitments to Conscious Leadership. Okay. Commitments. Okay. Fantastic. And it, it makes so much sense as you read it. And if the connections, as we make connections to each other, um, 
and as we respect each other and we're able to be honest with each other and not worry about you know, if you're if you're sharing information with love with the intention of healing then we can be way more honest with people anyway and so i really am excited about the opportunity to incorporate these uh, these what would they call alternative practitioners i'm hoping they'll stop being called alternative practitioners <laughs> you know um, they weren't alternative until the uh, ama and you know started uh, they I, they were actually mainstream <laughs> they were mainstream now if we can marry them all together and find our little harmonious place i and and really like i said and what we're also going to do is we're going to have a research arm mm. and what we want to do is bring in all the research that has already been done, but then also do more research studies together. Like, so in a traditional, in a hospital where we're using traditional medicine, like IV antibiotics or whatever it is that we need to do, what other things can we do to help? And the reality is that China is probably already doing a lot of this stuff. Like they do acupuncture and hypnosis for anesthesia. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so they're already doing amazing things in other countries and we're behind, you know, unfortunately, the majority of doctors feel like we're leading the world. We are not leading the world. We should um, be. It's so crazy. We should, it, be. we should be. Technologically, we might be like doing well, but like the Asian countries are amazing in, in their technology that they have. Mm -hmm. So and, and there are all these cool technological advances that are not generally accepted by traditional medicine, mm -hmm. but should have been, it just takes sometimes 20 to 30 years to get new innovation into actual practice. Like even the hyperbaric chambers, like they're really good for brain issues mm -hmm. and, you know, autism and traumatic brain injury and strokes. And yet we're still not using it in the hospitals. Why not? Uh, because the pharmaceutical company isn't making <laughs> are, are, they're not making money. I mean, to me, the whole thing's crazy. It's almost like the globalists, whoever's controlling all of this, want us to be sick because mainstream medical uh, personnel, it, it pretty much it's just about handing out drugs. You know, right. what are your symptoms? Here are the drugs. And then those drugs create more side effects. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the the jabs, you know, that are being given out now in, in the guise of a vaccine, and there are so many side effects, and the hospitals and and the pharmacy companies are making tons of money off of all these people who now need all of these drugs and all of this care uh, because they've had adverse side effects from the jabs. And, you know, it, to me, it just kind of keeps snowballing. I mean, look at all of the chronic, I mean, I don't know how you feel about vaccines in general, but to me, what happened to the innate immune system? What happened to our bodies being able to recover from uh, whether it's a pathogen or detoxing or how, however you want to look at it? Why do we need, what is it now, 72 doses by the age 18? Right. That doesn't count all extra COVID doses either. Yeah. It's going to come. I mean, to me, all that does is reinforce on a subconscious level that we are frail and weak. Right. And, and most people will say, well, I got all my vaccines. What's the problem? Or vac childhood vaccines are mandated. So why is this different? 
oh, there's so many things that people don't realize when they make those statements is that when our parents, my mother is 74. And so in her generation, they had about 10 doses of vaccines their entire childhood. Now, and in at that time, probably only the 50% of the wealthiest people actually got the vaccines. That was sort of a wealthy person thing, not the poor people. Mm-hmm. And so then as we went along, so I was born in 1973. So in sort of our age group, uh, we had about 24 doses of vaccines in our entire childhood. Now there's 70 plus, uh, now there's 24 doses by six months of age. There's 46 doses by six years of age. And there's over 70 doses by 18. And again, that does not count, you know, the uh, COVID vaccines, which now they're saying the children under five might need three doses to make it work because two are not working. So they want the third dose to see if that's going to work to hopefully get kids vaccinated for this virus that's already changed so much that the vaccine doesn't even work for Omicron because it's based on two strains ago. So it's it's bizarre. And also, and children back in the 1980s, 12% of kids had a chronic disease state. Now, 54% of kids have a chronic disease state. So yeah, are we healthier I, by vaccinating all these children to oblivion? I, this is what I don't get. The the fact that right chronic diseases are in, 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 in everyone, it's just accepted now. I mean, I so I'm just two years younger than your mother. And I think I only had polio and smallpox. And it's my understanding that a lot of people who got the polio, uh, I think it was the sugar cube thing, uh, actually got polio from that. So I guess I lucked out. It's called the Cutter Incident. If anyone wants to look it up, it's called the Cutter Incident, C-U-T-T-E-R, okay. where they actually caused a polio epidemic with the oral mm-hmm. vaccine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I've said this before on on, on the podcast, nobody I knew had uh, ADD, ADHD, nobody had food allergies, nobody that I knew had autism. Um, and I, I went to a, you know, the schools that I went to were quite large in, cause in Dearborn, Michigan. And, you know, you just, it was unheard of all of this stuff. And now it's, it's common and everybody, see what gets me is everybody just accepts it like without questioning Sick well, not everybody, new- but yeah, sick is the new normal. Where is the, uh, there must be a cognitive dissonance happening because to me that is not normal and that should be questioned. It's not normal, but also you mentioned about the snowballing pharmaceutical benefits. A couple of things that people need to know is that most of the time pharma puts in all their own money and they try to get the money back from people over time. And so people are like, but the vaccine's free. The vaccine's free. The vaccine is not free. The government's bought all the vaccines and um, with our taxpayer money. Yeah, with your tax dollars. Mm -hmm. And so what's so crazy is that they're making like tens of billions of dollars every quarter. And now on these vaccines. And so the government actually paid for the development costs. So now, you know, Pfizer, Moderna didn't pay for their own development costs. The government paid for those costs. So all the money they're making is fresh off the top. Mm-hmm. They're not having to pay anything back. Mm-hmm. And they're all coming out, all these um, Pfizer, Bayer, they're all coming out with new blood thinners. Interesting, <laughs> right? So Bayer has, um, they're, they're getting fast track approval. Like everything gets fast track approval these days because, yep. well, they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're getting fast track approval for a new blood thinner because Zarelto, their old blood thinner, is about to go off patent in 2026. Ah. Uh... 
So, and I can tell you, I've had two patients at least who died with a spontaneous head bleed on anticoagulants, you know, for their atrial fibrillation. So these are not benign meds. Wow. So like, this is, this is happening left and right. They're getting new approvals for new arrhythmia drugs for um, blood clotting busters and uh, all these things that are really, they're treating side effects from the vaccines that we're giving. And now they're, you're seeing commercials on in England and the United States for children having heart attacks and strokes getting ready, you know, and they're like, oh, no, it's always been there. It's always been there. But you're like, why are we just now hearing about children having strokes and heart attacks now, this year? Mm-hmm. Like right. all over the place. Right. Well, we and they're trying to normalize it. They're normalizing sickness. It's normalizing outrageous. sickness. This is why we have to put a stop to it. And as we create, see, we can't take down the current system. It's too big. They're too like pharma, honestly, they're probably more powerful than most countries mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are bullying countries that are using um, really bullying countries around the world that if they don't provide total immunity to for liability, they'll take their military base. I mean, it's like bizarre. I know. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> My God. Yes. So crazy. So we can't tear down the system, but this is where, again, Compass Integrative Health and other healthcare systems that will be created out of this. You know, we are, we're, if we create the new system and people demand it and people support it and it grows, what will happen is that we will create the exit strategy for people and give them the opportunity. We got, we're going to have to earn the trust though, because even people who know it's broken, they're afraid of change. They're mm-hmm. afraid to mm-hmm. find something new. They're afraid of, well, I've got insurance. So why would I not do that? Well, because a lot of these, we're going to have to see how that plays out with this hospital is. Can you really use insurance? I know we cannot take Medicare and Medicaid because it's the government that actually gets in and messes everything up. Right. So um, we won't be able to do that, but we'll have to be very picky about the insurance companies that we're able to utilize because some of those require compliance as well with um, vaccination for COVID or something like that, that I'm not going to force anyone to take anything against their will. And so we're going to we're gonna have to remind people that if we can eliminate the administrative cost of healthcare, which 95% of the cost of healthcare is the cost of corporate medicine. God. Right? It's all the, the employees, the HR, the human resources, it's the, I don't know, it's, it's all of it, right? So we can, can we create a, a hospital system that's really more administrative light um, and not have CEOs making eight or $10 million, right? Yep. If we yep. can actually decrease, I mean, we're obviously going to have to pay people and hopefully pay people well, and but we're going to have a much smaller administrative um, overhead mm-hmm. so that we can actually create like, you know, surgeries that are affordable for people. So people don't go lose their whole house for a surgery or for a hospital stay. Uh, because I really believe uh, they're not paying when, you know, when I've seen charts in the past, people always expect doctors to be the richest people ever. But um, although we were paid well. I'm not saying we're not paid well. It's not like a, you know, socialistic countries where the doctors are paid very little. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're paid well, but it's not like what people think, mm-hmm. or at least not regular mm-hmm. doctors. There are certainly very filthy rich doctors out there, but I don't know how they do it. Um, but it's the administrators that are getting rich off of this. Because they're but, being paid off by big pharma. Right. By whatever, like I said, or even like the 20% bonus mm-hmm. for remdesivir. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, they're getting the hospital systems are making money off of these diagnosis codes um, in addition to what people are, are paying for and the insurances are paying for. Right. So if we can actually create a menu, so let's say you go into the hospital or urgent care or whatever, 
Um, he was like, yeah, I want some IV vitamins. Yes, I want, um, I need the chiropractor to come by to help me because my lungs are congested. And maybe if we loosen up my ribs, it might help. Um, or mm-hmm. maybe, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. The acupuncturist can calm down your immune system and then come and do their magic while we do antibiotics, you know. And you've got this little menu of items. And people are like, yeah, it's worth it to pay for this. And mm-hmm. and then us create a way of, um, you know, whether it's taken out of, alone, like they have all these healthcare credit cards these days and have people give people the opportunity to pay it off over a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's, it's going to be an interesting experiment, a social experiment. It really will. But like it, the time has come mm-hmm. that people are ready for something different, dramatically different. And I can say for the, I have a cash practice that, uh, is like a concierge service. And, and at first we were like, why would I pay that? Why would I pay that? And then five years later, I've already grown and have five uh, mid-levels underneath of me because people are like, okay, it's because we're getting better care. Mm-hmm. Right. We have time with our provider. We get to use the same provider every time, except for rare occasions. We we feel respected. We feel like, and I have all kinds of people in my practice. Some people like to vaccinate. Some people don't. Some people, you know, I have non-compliant diabetics who just don't like to take all the meds and I'm sitting there with love trying to help encourage them to take better care but when I was in a traditional setting, I knew doctors that would just fire the diabetics because it hurt their scores. <laughs> so you, cause you get scores based upon, um, you, you it's like clinical skills or like, are they measure metrics? You know, how many people got their mammogram? How many got their pap smear? How many are well-controlled diabetics? How many are on a statin? How many are on, you know, this medicine or got that flu shot. And so if people didn't follow the rules enough, doctors would actually fire them. Well, and they I've would- heard of quite a few pediatricians firing their, their patients if the parents won't stick to the, the vaccine schedule. Yeah, that started back really heavy in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it happened some before, but that's where people have to say, people need to question themselves and say, did they remember that a long time ago? Did we, did, for instance, did we fear the flu, the flu when we were younger? No. Flu? No one thought about that. No one even, and I will tell you in 21 years of practicing, I've not known of one person who's died from the flu. Mm-hmm. Um, in 21 years, I've known several who's died from the flu vaccine or who have developed ju- uh, the seed uh, It's called Jacob Crutzfeld mm-hmm. disease. It's basically like a brain disease where they die with a, a sudden dementia within a few months. I've known that, but I've never known anyone who actually died from the flu. I mean, I know it happens, but it's not that common. Right. And so think about like looking in the past, like when did we start seeing these changes? And in 2015, um, in February of 2015, the department of health and human services, uh, created a new objective for the healthy human adult 2020 vaccines. Right. So it's to, so the third objective of four, was to create community demand for adult vaccines. <laughs> that was so that's what they started doing. So to create demand, you have to create fear. Right. So to create fear, we had to get them to fear little children and mm-hmm. the dangerous anti-vaxxers that made up a tiny percentage of the population. And quite frankly, that percentage is growing thanks to their draconian measures. And people are like, wait a second. There are enough people questioning, like, why are they freaking out now? There's no major deaths happening. And even with the the outbreaks for measles, people are not dying. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
what's happening, right? So, so people are, thanks to their pushing and their um, corrupt measures, people are actually questioning more and they've actually caused a rise in unvaccinated quite, I think it's hilarious as backfiring. Um, but that's when they started really the push. Doctors started pushing um, to report other doctors for being too anti-vaccine and um, they started firing families and quite frankly, they really, they went after the Jewish populations, like this, um, the Hasidic Jews. They, so they actually tore apart the Jewish communities and they targeted the Hasidic Jews and they were calling them anti-vaxxers. But interestingly, the Hasidic Jews are super compliant people in general. They, the, I, I got flown up there to talk to the rabbis and, um, to the teachers and everyone's like, we trust our doctors. We just do what our doctors say. And they believe wholeheartedly in vaccination, not like what the media said, but there's a smaller percentage that did not. And almost everyone who I met who did not want the vaccines had had children with prior vaccine reactions, Mm -hmm. serious vaccine reactions. Mm -hmm. So these were the same small percentage of people that just wanted a choice because their child has serious vaccine reactions. So our government successfully separated out families, synagogues, like entire families suddenly after 2015, were being torn apart. Wow, I didn't know that. And so at that time, we were saying it's like the, the Jewish people are like the canary in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. And when the Jewish people start getting attacked, we we they pra- our government practiced on them first by dividing families. And now they have successfully rolled that program, that PSYOP, out to the rest of the country that we are dividing families. People won't let their grandparent, their parents see their grandchildren now unless they get the COVID vaccine when the grandparents are the ones at high risk, not the baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's And they're, they're so grandparents can't see their grandchildren unless they get random three or four vaccines before they can see their grandchildren, even though 10 years ago, no one cared. Yeah. It, wow. Yeah. It's got a question. I, I really think the key here is having an open mind and questioning, question everything. Because what we think is true is reality. It probably isn't. I was listening to, um, her name's Amanda something, something. And she was saying, when you think you've gotten uh, underneath, you know, uh, the, to the truth, there's probably another layer under that and another layer under that. And, you know, you're talking about being the canary in the coal mine. Look at Israel. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, what are they on their fourth, fourth or fifth dose now? And dose of vaccines and one of the highest rates of COVID in the world. Mm hmm. Duh. Question, question. question. And they're there. And the thing is, what we don't realize here in this country that a lot of the data in the other countries simply don't match what's happening here in the United States. Um, strangely, here in the United States, 99 percent of the people sick in the hospital are unvaccinated. Uh, meanwhile, in other countries, is actually way higher percentages that are vaccinated at this point. It might not have been that way last year, but it seems to be making that transition into higher rates of vaccinated being in the hospital. Right. Now, uh, I think you just said unvax, the high, it was higher rates of unvaccinated in the hospital. Oh, sorry. It's vaccinated. Vaccinated in the hospital right, right now, globally, but not in the United States, according to the d- data in the, 90s, in the United States, according to the media, 99% of the people are unvaccinated. And, but, but then doesn't it, now, oh, hold on. Now, isn't it, correct me if I'm wrong, please. It's my understanding that if a person is now considered 
unva- they can be un- considered unvaccinated if it's within 14 days of their last shot. Yes. If something serious is going to happen quickly, it's usually within those first two weeks. So those people are are labeled unvaccinated. Right. And even like they're admitting there's more and more information coming out that a lot of people have, they have COVID, but they're not in there for COVID. They're in there with something else and mm-hmm. they're testing positive for COVID. And we know the tests don't, aren't reliable anyway. So... It might be worth repeating that about the PCR test for your listeners. Go ahead. <laughs> but so the PCR test is, is like you've got the rapid test is based on the antigen. That's to see if there's, if they can find the infection there, but the PCR test is like where they grow. They have um, these cycle times. I'm trying to simplify it. They have these cycle times and they grow it to see if there's um, fragments of coronavirus. So according to the CDC, the optimal cycle times to use is between like 26 to 28 cycle times. Um, And if you go too much higher, you have a lot of false positives. If you go too much lower, you have a lot of false negatives. Mm -hmm. So the CDC on the CDC website, they say not to use over 33 cycle times because you're pretty much guaranteed false positives. Well, basically, our PCR tests have been set at 37 to 40, which is way over the 33 cycle times listed by the CDC to not use. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we have all these false positives. So at this point, people don't even know half the time they'll have a, this test will be positive, the next test will be negative, the next test will be positive. And, you know, people don't even really know what to even do with it. So is it positive or negative? All those are being going into the count. Right. Now, Cammie, the rapid antigen tests, uh, what's your understanding of their accuracy? Well, there's, from what I remember reading in the past, I could be, the new data could be there, but there's about an 11% false negative rate. So if you have symptoms that are probably COVID and you test negative, then you probably need to go on to do another test or another PCR test. Um, There's faults with both of them. So PCR test comes with more false positives. Uh, the, the rapid test comes with more false negatives. So you can actually get a negative rapid test and still have COVID. Well, and I was reading, um, I, I forget which brand of test, but it said that it's pretty useless if you don't have symptoms and right. that it can't, uh, what did it say? It can't tell the difference between uh, a live particle and a dead particle. So... Right. And that's exactly it for the whole PCR time. For the cycle times over 33, they can detect fragments of a coronavirus. And it doesn't mean you're necessarily infected. But yet that then you think about all the people that are forced to do um, testing for their work. Mm-hmm. They employed. And I can tell you this, like there's a recently a close person nearby in the neighborhood that her son had COVID that was connected to someone else with COVID. So I'm pretty sure that kid had positive COVID, although it was like super mild. He had fever for like a day and he was fine. Um, so then she developed symptoms. So she had had to test on that previous Friday for her work, which was negative. Two days later, she gets symptoms. Then she tests positive um, for with a rapid test. One rapid test. The other rapid test is negative. And then she did another PCR test it was negative. Well, she had symptoms, her son and that other close contact both had COVID and she had like cold symptoms, like sinusy kind of symptoms, which is totally consistent with Omicron and um, according to the media. And then her tests were like mixed. So is she okay to go to work? Is she not okay to go to work? Like who can trust these tests? So Cammie, why didn't they just have a cold? 
Well, I agree. <laughs> I mean, you're saying they have cold, cold symptoms that are, are consistent with Omicron. It sounds like they just have a freaking cold. Have a cold. But that goes into the whole nonsense about this testing for work. Like, what's she supposed to do with that? So what? She had a cold. You know, there's still some people, and to be, there's still some people out there really getting sick with this new variant. Um, but it's a tiny percentage. And do they have comorbidities? I mean, are they people who whose immune systems are compromised anyway? Have they had the jab and uh, and their immune functions are are slowly deteriorating? I mean, I saw what white blood cells are destroyed about five percent a week, right? And on top of that, we just also have to understand that people die from infectious diseases. We're never going to have zero deaths. Mm -hmm. Even living in a bubble, if you live in a bubble, we have shown if you stay away from so many germs, you're going to get sicker the moment you get exposed. Right. And you look at this year, a lot of the ERs are full of non-COVID illnesses because people have been so isolated that they're getting sick with every little exposure. I won't use those um, hand sanitizers. I, in fact, I, the one thing I like about winter is I, I will walk into the store with my gloves on. So, I <laughs> and and if somebody says you have to do it, I just pretend because right. I'm not. I'm not. What? Since when do we have to have hand sanitizers constantly? That's ridiculous. It's like we might as well just like suit up with some hazmat suits so everyone feels comfortable. You know that. <laughs> That's why I'm like, if you feel that afraid, you can wear your hazmat suit. But I prefer the occasional cold or the occasional, like, I've had flu twice in my whole life. Um, and it wasn't just for a few days. Like, I'd rather get sick occasionally and exercise my immune system than be totally protected from it. Right. And I don't need pharma to protect me from nature, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But what's really sad is that pharma is setting up people so they have to depend on them. Right. Because I think they, that's an important point. You look at the opioid crisis, right? They created the opioid crisis, and then they created the antidotes for the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. The same thing's happening right now. They're, they created the, these vaccines that are causing all these um, issues with coagulation and strokes and heart attacks, and now they're having all these cardiac meds coming out to help save them mm -hmm. and approving them in kids for the first time ever. Yeah, I don't, I, I just, I don't understand how people can just accept this. I, I don't understand why anyone would want to give a jab to their baby or to their, their, their toddler, or I mean, it just. The risk of children dying from COVID is about somewhere between 10 to 20 per million so that some kids are dying, but most of these kids had comorbidities, which sucks. It mm -hmm. sucks for them. It, every death is sad. But every death is sad on that side, just like every death is sad on the vaccine-related side. Mm -hmm. Every death is sad. These are mothers and fathers and children that are dying. It's always tragic for that family. But we did not come here as humans to this earth to expect a life free of disease. It just isn't possible. Mm -hmm. Would have been nice, but <clears throat> it would have been nice. But that's not what that's not what we're set here to do right mm -hmm. now. It's and yes, it's nice if think about um, technology and advancing so it keeps us well. So like for instance, antibiotics. We used to die from strep throat. We used to die from UTIs. So thank God for progress in science. And 
who knows? We might come up with something eventually that does that. But it, the way they're going about it is absolutely negating human nature and our gut microbiome. It's our, our own very complex immune system. So, but what we're doing, we keep going into this idea of suppressing uh, our bodies and controlling our bodies instead of supporting our bodies. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, you know, I'd like to be <clears throat> just be sure to talk a little bit about ivermectin before we end, because, you know, for first of all, the fact that the powers that be are so against it, you should question right there. Right. But, you know, ivermectin was uh, invented formula, I, I guess not invented, found by a Japanese uh, biochemist. For humans, it was originally for, I think, something called river eye. And it was also used, um, I think, with Ebola and something else in Africa. It wasn't originally uh, developed for animals. It's not horse paste. It was originally formulated, created, however you want to call it, in the lab for humans. Right. And... And that's now people are like, oh, that's horse paste. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Whereas literally Merck's new antiviral was originally meant for horses. That's the irony of all this. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. That is yes. too funny. But people also, so ivermectin is quite interesting um, because it has so many mechanisms of action that has been found to be helpful for cancer, for parasites, for viruses. Um, and the data precedes COVID. Mm-hmm. The, the data was there prior to COVID. So the fact that they are squashing this, they the treatment, the standard treatment is to hydrate and take Tylenol until you cannot breathe and then you go to the hospital. Mm. That is mm-hmm. the standard of care. Anything else is considered crazy anti-vaxxer nonsense. It's bizarre how they've attached words yep. to this narrative that is absolutely not related to anything. Like... So I worked for a telemedicine company, and I won't say the company because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not ready to get them in trouble yet. That's okay. <laughs> um, but I worked for them for quite a while, and I treated COVID patients, um, and I got harassed on their physician platform for and totally made fun of, which is fine. I didn't really care um, for treating COVID patients, and but I kept doing it. They actually created a policy because I was doing it, specifically because of me, wow. um, but I continued to treat. And I think actually, fortunately at that time, the, I think the director, he's more of a passive guy. And I think he was just trying to, he's listening to the mob and mm-hmm. create it. They didn't really pay attention to me. So I, but, so I kept treating until the fall where I presented the data as like the COVID-19 early studies website. It has all this, the studies for all the different modalities that can work for COVID, like vitamin D and ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, mm-hmm. colchicine, all the list of really cool um, innovative modalities that were affordable, generic treatments for COVID. So um, they're like, absolutely not. It's more harm than good uh, to use this medicine. So when I had actually COVID in November mm-hmm. and and it went straight to my chest, I had the classic wheezing chest tightness the very first day. And so I did everything. I did, you know, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. I did, I, I did the monoclonal antibodies, which probably was super powerful and potent. It actually really, I think, did help a lot. 
And, um, but I was 80% better within 36 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so then I was, I was sitting there with a mix of gratitude to be there with my boyfriend who we lovingly took care of each other. There's no fear. I had all <laughs> the things at my fingertips and we watched fun movies. It was great. <laughs> so, um, and we were sick and we had fever and you know, all that, but we were, I was like full of gratitude. Um, but it's also full of anger at the same time that I could have so much access to get well mm-hmm. and, and not live in fear. And all these people, they have, in, they put so much fear into people and they've denied care to people. And so I went back to that company. I'm like, listen, this, I'm just, honestly, I can't support this. I was like, I've gone to you several times. I was like, this is really criminal to deny care. There is science to support it. And I, y'all need to change it. And so he responded back that again, that the harms outweigh the benefits. And it's like, please, please tell me the harms. So he says, I agree. He says, I agree. It's probably not that toxic. I'm not worried about the toxicity. He says, what I'm worried about is that if people think that there's an effective treatment, they will not get the vaccine. Well, there's the whole point. There's the whole point. So I was like, well, you guys are criminal. You guys are committing crimes against humanity for Mm -hmm. denying healthcare to people in the middle of a pandemic for the sake of what you believe in. And not giving people the choice. And you guys deserve to be tried. Mm-hmm. And I, I was agree. like, so release me of my contract or I'm going to keep on treating COVID patients. And so they release me of my contract. But but that's literally what the doctors are literally, they are willing to say. And they believe that they are justified that we cannot treat people because then they won't get the vaccine. Wow. Well, another reason to be creative. Now, for a moment here, let's talk about hydroxychloroquine, which is very hard to get, but you can make something called chloroquine very easily, which seems to be really effective. It's just organic grapefruits and organic lemons. And um, I've made up a couple batches. I put them in muffin tins and put them in the freezer and then pop them out and uh, put them in Ziploc bags. So I have them for myself or others as soon as they feel like they're starting to come down with something, whatever it is, or detoxing, uh, two tablespoons in the morning and at night seems to work really well. I don't know what's in it. Um, It's certainly, like I said, it's from organic grapefruits and lemons. So I don't think there's any harm there, but it does seem to work. Isn't that like, I could be wrong on this one. Isn't that like sort of replicating quercetin? I think, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be like the next best thing to hydroxychloroquine. I think okay. there's, yeah, I think there's some relationship to the quercetin, but you're just, you're using the peel and simmering it. Basically, that's all you're doing. And do you take zinc as well? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, my understanding, I think it was Dr. Zelenko said, Quercetin is the gun and zinc is the bullet (laughs) for an analogy. (laughs) There's also a zinc ionophore because the trick is that the zinc needs to get deep inside the cell. And Mm -hmm. so you use a hydroxychloroquine. It has other benefits anyway, but using it with the zinc helps to push the zinc inside the cell to make you fight off infection better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Same thing with quercetin. You have to take it with zinc and the the question pushes the zinc into the cell. So it's called a zinc ionophore. There is actually a zinc product um, with the rnareset.com. Um, it, and it's got a zinc ionophore that stands alone. Mm. If people want 
get that supplement. Okay, I'll check that out. Yeah, I'll, um, I do have a COVID summary, or what do I have? It's a protocol summary, I call it, that I keep updating. And I did put in it the, it's just a two pager. Um, so people seem to like just two pages, it keeps it simple. I've been updating it and I put in, um, uh, the recipe to make the chloroquine and I will add to take zinc with it. I, I didn't have that in there yep. um, when you're, when you're taking that. So thank you. But that product is called Pico zinc P I C O on the RNA reset.com. Okay. And that one like that it has is a zinc ionophore. So it goes into the cell. That's the trick. Even if you get this and take the, the cool lemon grapefruit concoction, I mean, it's only the more support we have for our immune system, the better. Yeah. Um, so it's great to have all these. And, and it's honestly been really cool because people have had to really investigate other natural remedies since they've been shut down by our own medical system. We've had to take care of ourselves and we've been able to see, do you know what? Guess what? A lot of us can take care of ourselves. And that's the doctor means to teach. And a good doctor is supposed to teach people to not need to see us. Right. 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 That's well, isn't, our- isn't, um, I, I don't know if it's still true, but I, I know that in, in um, Chinese traditional medicine, uh, I believe at one time um, when the the doctor came to see you, if you were sick, he didn't get paid. He got paid to keep you well. Nice. I, like- <laughs> I just I remember that from when I was studying Chinese traditional medicine and and um, looking into that. I believe that there was it was an opposite kind of thing because they the idea was to keep you well. So that's what you got paid for. Whereas in this country and traditional medicine, you know, you get paid every three months to bring someone with a chronic disease back. You see them for ten to fifteen minutes. And the majority of that visit spent by checklisting all the things that give you the bonuses for your, for your quality of care metrics. And, um, and then you keep adding pills cause you don't really have time to really get them better. Mm-hmm. Um, and most, uh, most nutritionists or dietitians in this country, at least are still pushing diet sodas and, um, You're kidding. Thanks to, oh yes. Really? Oh yes, my God. yes. Our, our diabetes educator for local hospital, that's what she's still pushing diet sodas and her, literally her diet, um, that she gave to one of my patients, like eat like 12 salting crackers for a snack. And for lunch, you eat a half a sandwich of the tomato soup and salting crackers and a diet soda. You um, are joking. That was from our hospital based diabetes nutrition expert. Oh my God. Yes. So yeah, we have a lot of we have a lot to improve upon. <laughs> wow, that's uh, well. I am I, I'm really very excited. I'm very oh I don't want to say it. Very impressed with the efforts that you're going through to do this, and you're obviously have help from whether it's source ETs, whatever it is, to to be put in touch so easily with these people who can help you. I think that this is what's called for. This is part of the bigger picture of what needs to change. And I think it's an amazing idea. And I absolutely wish you only the best in in manifesting this. And I think that if you, you know, if you get one one center going well, then there can be satellites or people can just take the the uh, what do I want? the template, and right. and create them all over the place. 
right? That's my goal. And just, I am raising money though, if anyone wants to help. Um, if anyone wants to go to bentonintegrative.com backslash compass. Okay. Um, bentonintegrative.com backslash compass, C-O-M-P-A-S-S. And it's right now we have a nonprofit. So in the United States, at least, it's a tax-deductible do- um, donation. And we're trying to at least start first with an urgent care uh, to get that started ahead of the hospital. And we'll do that and probably closer into Charlotte just to get things started and um, help fund the rest of it. So uh, while I am looking for doctors, or if you know doctors out there that are interested, send them my way. Like, we want the best doctors that have the heart, the right place that say, I can't be part of a corrupt system anymore. And we'll take care of the integrative part because plenty of practitioners are in the Charlotte area. Uh, we have so many gifted people that we just need to get the doctors in. We have nurses, we have mid-levels that are interested. I just need some MD and DOs to um, to do some of the inpatient stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if anyone knows their doctors that are interested or if anyone wants to donate, we, we need to raise about $20 million to get the hospital built. But the the urgent care would be a lot easier if we could just find like $500,000. So we are actively seeking uh, people who are interested in funding the new medical system. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. Wow. You got the call out there. I, I certainly hope that people will respond. I mean, look at the amount of money that the Truckers for Freedom convoy has been raising. It's so inspiring, the people who have been giving food and, you know, just donating everything to a really good cause. And this is obviously a really good cause. So thank you for everything you're doing, Cammie. And thanks for helping me get the word out there. I really appreciate you and all that you do. My pleasure. And I don't know if I ever told you, maybe a month or two ago, I found out that my podcast is in the top 20% of all podcasts. (gasps) Which I was like, really? That's amazing. (laughs) I think it's, it's gotten to the point where it gets itself out there as people share and as my guests share. But I was quite surprised. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Well deserved because your heart's in the right place, too. You're trying to make the world a better place. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been fun. And I learned a lot. So, And I'm really excited about your project. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. You take care, Cammie. Thank you. The podcast website once again, is realjanine.com, and Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. Please consider subscribing through your favorite podcast provider, and please share this conversation with your friends and family. This is so important. I think as many people as possible need to know about this, and that this is possible, that we can do this. We have to create these new systems ourselves. Nobody's going to do it for us. We have to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, where am I? Oh, you can find video slideshows of all my conversations on YouTube. And of course, all of the more current ones are now on BitChute. Please share this important conversation with your family and friends. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Take care and be well.